I prefer to be a bank. And the reason being is really quite simple. Banks are very strong and powerful and make a crap ton of money doing what they do. And they don't practice what they preach. They tell you to put your money in a CD or they tell you to go and do this. But what do they do? They go out and do something entirely different because they learn how to control, not own. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high octane boost of full on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Get Real Podcast. Ron Phillips here with Heather Marchant. Back for another Hello. exciting episode of the yes. Get Real Podcast, where we get real about business, life, real estate. And kind of how all that intersects. I don't know if you guys have figured that out yet, but that's kind of what we do here. And we're excited. We got another cool show. We're always excited here on this program. I've got another buddy of mine who I think everybody that I bring on here, I've met in a mastermind. So Nick <laughs> Legamaro is no exception to that. Nick and I have been friends for a while now, and we met at another real estate masterminds, which is actually, no, it wasn't a real estate mastermind. It was a marketing mastermind. We both are in the same mastermind group, leadership boardroom, which means Nick is a really cool guy. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate that. Now, why did we have Nick here? He is a cool guy and we only invite cool people onto the show, but Nick is here to talk about notes. So we've had a lot of people who've had, who've expressed a ton of interest in notes, specifically mortgages backed by real estate. I mean, there's tons of people out there teaching this, Nick. And I mean, Nick's been doing this for a long time. I think one of the main things that other than that Nick is a cool guy and and I like hanging out with him. <laughs> one of the things that he said in his presentation, it really struck me was that not only did he create notes, thousands of them, but he sold his company to a bank, to a chartered bank. So you can just imagine with me for a second, after all of the regulations, after all of the craziness that has gone into regulating banks, Nick put together mortgages that passed the muster to be able to be sold to a chartered bank. That's pretty impressive, my friend. You should say that again. Like, In, what does that mean? I mean, Nick, everybody, I think, I mean, that's probably not true. Not everybody knows all the regulations that have gone into the banking industry, but I think people have some kind of a handle on the fact that it's been very regulated since 2008. Extremely regulated. And it took us almost one year to complete the due diligence on all mm. of this stuff. And believe me, my partner in Rolex Capital is John Montero. I don't know if you either one of you know John Montero, but he's now gone off into the multifamily space, building new construction and raising capital and doing a lot of cool stuff. Talk to John still frequently. But you know, when we built this business, when we started getting into the creative financing, deal structuring, and being able to provide home ownership to hardworking families that have been told no by Chase or Wells Fargo or Bank of America. Mm. We wanted to build, we didn't know that we would ever, this is back in 2010, 11, 12. You know, I'm getting too old for this stuff now, Ron. I just know I did it. Okay. When I did it, is that nearly as important? Plus <laughs> time is going way too fast, Nick. And it's I like, tell you well, what, happened man. yesterday, but it was 10 years ago. Exactly. I mean, and the whole idea is that we, our objective was to build a business to sell. Didn't mean that we were going to go and sell it. We had no idea that we would or who we would sell it to, but we knew by building it as a business to sell and it was centered around this creative deal structuring, we knew that we were going to implement best business practices and just the whole way that we built our business. And even from the very beginning, before we even put the business up to sell and eventually to being by the bank, we were selling mortgage notes to financial institutions 
way, way before that ever came up. So we knew the paper that we were writing, although a traditional bank couldn't go out and write it, they could surely buy it and they'd love to buy it because our files were stacked every bit as good as anybody else's. And we had them audited and all that due diligence and all that, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of pages of documentation that goes into stacking a file correctly was what we did. And what I still do today, even though I'm not associated with that company or that bank any longer, but I still, I'm the one that was a deal architect on most of this stuff, right? So I know what a stack file needs to look like. I know what a borrower underwriting file should be. I know enough about Dodd-Frank to really understand what we need to do to make things correct. And a lot of people don't, to be quite honest with you. So I want to see if I understand this right. So you're basically helping individuals get a loan for the home they currently live in? No. So we're like the old subprime. So anybody that's been around a long time understands what subprime is. It was basically could have been a couple different things, but it was really for borrowers that didn't qualify for traditional financing. Today mm-hmm. is there's a lot of people out there that cannot go down. Hey, rates are historically low right now. We know yeah. that doesn't mean you can go get a loan for that amount. I mean, some people can. If you're what we call a pretty borrower and you work for Pepsi-Cola or Frito-Lay and you have a pretty W-2 paycheck that comes in every two weeks and Mm -hmm. all those things and you check all those boxes in the right DTI and you don't have any blemishes, oh, great. Then you can get a two and a half, three percent loan. But that's not the landscape of America today. Most people don't have that type of employment. In fact, coming out of COVID, a lot of people aren't even, if they're even working today, a lot of them aren't working in the same job they used to have. They've had to make a career change and shift mm-hmm. verticals completely. And as a lender, that's the last thing you want to see. Yeah. And some and of those he, people are making more money now than they were making yeah, before because absolutely. of and the they're doing in some, you know, people that got laid off that were a department manager for Macy's because retail went down the, the crapper during COVID. Now they're doing something entirely different. Well, they got to restart that whole two-year process. It's extremely different. But more so than that, there's people that can't not go get a traditional bank loan. And it's not that they don't have a lot of verifiable income or whatnot. Mm. They just don't check the right boxes. In today's, after banks got their hands slapped in 08, they're extremely stringent on what they can do. Here's a perfect example of this. In March of 2020, for 100 people that had been qualified for a bank loan, okay, that checked all the boxes. I'm talking traditional lender qualifications. Yeah. That checked the box. A hundred out of that hundred that got qualified in March of 2020. If you were to go to August of 2020 after the pandemic had set in, only about 65 or 70 of them would mm-hmm. now qualify and nothing's changed in their job, in their employment. What changes the bank's perception of risk. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge problem. I mean, and that's where we are today. There's a lot like multiple companies. I don't get a salary. I'm not an employee. I get distributions and things like that. I can't go down and my employees easily go get a loan from a bank to go buy a house. Even if I have all the cash in the bank to pay cash for it, I still can't do it. They don't like people like us because we don't fit that pretty borrower box. And that's where the majority of the population is. I was just a conversation and a call with Jay Connor. I know Ron, you know, Jay. And he was saying that the number is like above 60 or 70% now that can't go get traditional financing. So that's where we are. That's what we used to do. So we create our own notes when we can, but we also buy notes and then we have to clean them up and structure them and do both. Cause we can't just, it's really difficult to go out and as much demand that we have for notes. And we can talk about that here as we go along. I just can't go build everything. I can look at them and I can fix them, but I can't necessarily go create everything from scratch. 
So when you say build, what does that mean? Build and structure a note. Yeah. So like a lot of the stuff that we've done is that we would go find a property for the buy. We'd fix the property. We'd mm. sell the property on seller financing because we were the owner and mm. then we would be the bank. So instead of the buyer going down to get a traditional loan, we would be the bank, right? So ah, we become the bank, I'm we write the note it. and now we are the buyer of the property, we're the seller of the property and now we're the bank, which is the ultimate goal and what we're here for and really how people can become the bank. Now, a lot of people aren't going to be able to go do that, but you c- can go buy notes from somebody that was created the bank. So here's something, I'm a stat nerd and I'm all about stuff like that. So what people don't realize is that how much seller financing exists in the marketplace today. And what I mean by that is how much money is lent annually that is lent by businesses or banks that aren't named Wells Fargo, Chase, City, mm-hmm. whomever, okay? It's about $26 billion, Okay. That's $26 billion. That's billion with a B. I don't even know how many zeros are on the billion because I don't have that kind of reason to know. But billion is a big number. We agree with that. $26 billion. So that means in the last four years, Ron, there's been over $100 billion in privately created mortgage notes on single family, multifamily businesses, land that have been done in the marketplace that most people don't even know exists. Not only do they don't know that it exists, they don't know that they can be the bank to do that. And they don't know that they can actually purchase mortgage notes that have been created by individuals and put it into their retirement account or into their portfolio for an, from an investment strategy. And hmm. so one of the things that I heard that you do is that you go out and you buy these that aren't done properly, right? Yes. And you fix them just, it's kind of like rehabbing a house. Everybody who's listening is familiar with rehabbing a house, right? So one of the things that you said is you create the notes by rehabbing the house and selling it on or fancying yourself. The other thing that you do is you go out and you find notes that were not properly structured. Structured is probably not the right word, but all the paperwork and everything is the file is not right. Mm. And you buy those and then you rehab the note itself and then repurpose that note, keep it yourself or sell it to someone else, like you were just saying, for their retirement accounts or just for an investment for their portfolio or whatever it is, right? Because there's some really great benefits to doing that, but you do both of those things. You not only create the notes, but you also rehab notes and then resell those notes. Yeah. I mean, and so here's the way to look at it, because it's really hard for me to recreate the trail of crumbs, if you will, from when the seller wrote the note five years ago, what we see in that $26 billion number we I was talking to, 95% of all those notes were written by what I call mom and pops. Okay. They're individuals that maybe do one or two of these. They don't have the, the skill sets and the underlying knowledge level really to really write it for their best benefit. They'll write a 3% note. Okay. Instead of, even if you don't use Dodd-Frank, which you should, but you're not required to, if you, only, if you do less than three, if you're only doing one, it doesn't matter. But Dodd-Frank says, I can write a mortgage at APOR plus six and a half percent, which is APR is the annual prime offer rate or average prime offer rate. And it's right now it's about three. So that means in theory, I can write a nine and a half percent loan and still keep it qualified and conforming if that's what I choose to do. And that's what we want to do. Because as inflation goes up and rates go up and you have a really low interest rate note, well, then you're going to have to discount the heck out of it to get a yield that you want to have as an investor. 
That's what we come in. So the cleaning up part of it is we see stuff all the time where they didn't take a 1003 application, for example, an app, just a general application, or they're not service. They're not using a servicing company, right? Which is servicing companies, which is one of the bazillion different things than Dodd-Frank that you have to do, right? What's a 1003 application? 1003 is just a standard application that somebody would fill out for a a loan, right? It's it's a loan application. A loan application. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they might have sold it to their neighbor and they might have took $500 cash down payment. Mm. They've been knocking on the door the first day of the month and giving them cash for the payment. They're not escrowing tax and insurance. They oversold All the it. things that a servicing company would do. Or we would do or underwriter would do or some a bank would do like prior to going and trading that payment. Because it's all about risk, right? It's all about assessing the level of risk that you do when you take over a mortgage note. Now, here's the best part about mortgage notes. It's secured. It's secured and collateralized by the actual property itself, which is something that's extremely valuable because you can go buy Amazon stock. You can go buy Tesla stock. They're great stocks. I don't own either one of them. I don't care to own either one of them. But let's just say that the value of what I paid for went down 20%. I'm not going to go knock on the door of Elon or Bezos and say, hey, I need to cash out of this deal. Can you pay me what you lost on my investment? If you can even get one with you, absolutely not. Because that's the risk that you take when you do investments like that. And that's what you know up front. We teach and what I preach is how to be a bank. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? It means how to be a lean lord, not a landlord. And there's nothing wrong with being a landlord. I prefer to be a bank because, and the reason being is really quite simple. Banks are very strong and powerful and make a crap ton of money doing what they do. And they don't practice what they preach. They tell you to put your money in a CD or they tell you to go and do this. But what do they do? They go out and do something entirely different because they Mm -hmm. learn how to control, not own. Banks don't own real estate. They control it though. And they control it by having a lien on the property. Because they're going to give you $100,000 to go buy the house. It's your house as long as you pay for it. The minute you stop paying for it, then the bank's going to step in and try to figure out how to get their money back. And that's really what it is. So there's a reason why the biggest buildings in every town that you go to are banks. You look up any downtown, you're going to see Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Mm -hmm. Frost, you know, Third Bank, whoever it is, wherever you are. That's what you're going to see. You're not going to see anything else. I can see the names of hedge funds on a lot of tall buildings in downtown skyscrapers, but (laughs) but there's nothing wrong with that model. It's just what I choose not to do because if it's good enough for the banks, it's probably good enough for most people. How is it different than owning rental property? I mean, you own the note, right? You own the the mortgage, so to speak, on the property. And so the tenant living, the person living in the home is not the tenant. Not the owner. Yeah. I'm like, so, and then they're making you payments every month. Let me ask a question. First of all, currently or ever had a mortgage on a home? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Don't care who it is. Don't care how long you've had it. How many times did you ever call the bank? I think maybe Um, once. Once to get the... PMI off my loan. That's about it. If I'm okay. being honest, if we did, it was probably my wife and it wasn't me. <laughs> and she probably didn't consult you first. Probably but you don't not. call them when the roof leaks. You don't call them when the foundation needs to be repaired. You don't call them when you need to upgrade your HVAC that's, system because it no longer works. That's true. Which are all phone calls you get as a landlord or the property manager gets called as a right. There is no deferred maintenance being a bank. Now you don't get depreciation, but you know, depreciation and I always say if depreciation was that great, and I love depreciation, don't get me wrong, 
and it has it definitely has its place in for a lot of investors. But if it was really that good, I think banks, as greedy as they are, they would probably figure out a way to get depreciation too. So I think they'd rather have it in amortized fashion because here's the thing, and I think we're, we've learned this over the past year. I know this for a fact, banks always get paid. When you own a note, that's exactly what you are. You are the bank, right? You own the note mm-hmm. to that property. Banks always get paid. They may not get paid today. They may not get paid tomorrow. They may not get paid for a year from that, but they will get paid. And the reason why they will get paid is very simple because they control the asset because yeah. they have leverage because of what you signed as a borrower. If you don't pay, they have things they can do. For example, right now, what do they do? You can't pay. What do they say you can do? Well, we'll give you forbearance. What does forbearance really mean? All it, it means, means is when it's going to money. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually a great strategy for a bank if you can afford to do it, because all you're doing is pushing that to the back end of the note. And now you're getting amortized payment on that too. They don't give a crap if you don't pay them for another six months. You're just extending the life and how much money they're going to make on it because banks don't die, right? Banks live forever and like because they're an entity and they just want, when you run an amortization schedule and you see what that is and what you're able to get as a result of it, they don't care. You know, and if they wrote- That's an interesting point you bring up because- you know, we've talked about amortization schedules a couple of times, Heather, you know, we haven't really dived too deep into the yeah. reason for the amortization schedule, because I think there's a lot of people out there who just haven't really ever looked at one and don't understand what it means. They just figure they're paying principal and they're paying interest every month, but they don't understand where the interest is paid and where the principal is paid and how that works on an amortization schedule. Yeah, true. Speak to that a little bit. Nick, because there's a reason why the amortization schedules are set up the way that they are. Well, I don't know who got that passed whenever that was in the 70s or whenever you started amortizing loans, but it's crazy. I mean, it's almost like loan sharking legally, right? I mean, in a lot of ways, you're going to pay me all my money first, and then I'll let you start paying down your principal balance. It's really what it is. So if you have a $100,000 note, for example, and it's at 10% interest, on my financial calculator here, but I can guess on it. It's a 30-year term. First month, it's probably going to be somewhere around $990 going to me in the form of interest, $10 going towards you in your principal pay down. So now your balance dropped $10 and I just got paid $990, for example. Over the course of the year on a 10% note at $100,000, it's pretty easy calculation. It's about $10,000 in interest, right? I think that's right. should Mm -hmm. be. And so- my cost is mitigated every year. My risk is mitigated every year because I just lent you $100,000. One year amortization means now my risk is $90,000, but you still owe me $99,990. Year Mm. two goes by. Now my cost basis or my risk has dropped down to $80,000. You still owe me $99,600. And you go on and on. So in 10 years on an amortized note that has a 30-year term, I'm cash neutral. And that's just the cash portion. I still have the collateral in the form of the property, regardless if you owe me $5 or $105,000. I still have that collateral. If you don't pay, guess what? I can come in and step in and take over and recapture what's mine. Now, I don't get all the difference. Like if you only owe me $50,000 and and you choose to let me foreclose on you as the bank and I sell it for $100,000, I don't get the difference. That goes back to the borrower, but I do get all my interest. I get all my legal fees. I get everything back to get my cash back out of the deal and then go reinvest it someplace else. Hmm. Interesting. So did that answer your question, Ron? I think I got. Yeah, I think that was that was a really good. 
Heather, I don't know what you think of that. I think that was a pretty good yeah, illustration of what it is. And if you guys want to know, just Google amateurization schedule and then yeah. click on images and it'll show you what he's talking about. Yeah. Almost all the interest is paid in the first 10 years. Almost all of the principal is paid in the last 10 years. And it kind of meets in the middle during those interim. So here's years. where it gets really good. Okay. So two more little tidbits, right? Tidbit number one, depending on what the interest rate is on the note on a 30 year term, say you're making a thousand dollar a month payment because the payment never changes the life of the note, right? right? How much it gets applied to principal and how much it gets paid, applied to interest does. But it takes about, and you can run an amortization with different interest rates, but it takes about 23 years to get that payment to a 50-50 split. Meaning mm. it, if you're paying $1,000 a month, it, you're almost at 23 years, give or take, where that payment of $1,000, where $500 of it gets applied to principal, $500 of it gets applied to interest. That means, and then the back half of the note, the last seven years, it's all principal pay down. Boom, the bank's making nothing. But here's why it doesn't matter to a bank. I'll go back to the same question that I asked earlier, how many bank loans, I mean, a bank mortgage on a home. You probably wrote a third, most people write 30-year terms, but they don't go 30 years, Ron. Uh-huh. They don't go 30 years. They used to go about seven years. Now they go closer to 10 years. So what does that mean? Well, run the amortization schedule. We just did this $100,000 example. I wish I would have had it up, but it doesn't matter. Let's well, just say I, it goes I 10 just, years. I just happened to pull one up. So. There you go. So <laughs> let's just say, let's do a simple math, $100,000, 10% interest, okay? And let's say that the average loan gets paid off in 10 years or refinanced or sold or whatever, right? Because people don't stay in houses forever. A lot of people, some do, but most people don't. So Ron, in 10 years from now, on a 10% interest or 9%, pick whatever number you want, what's the UPB? The unpaid principal balance at the end of 120 months on $100,000. And this is a 9% interest. It's $89,429. Okay. $89,000. And what was the total principal and interest payment that we received? What was the total well, payment on the that? Total, yeah, the total interest received is $85,984. So they have made... The principal is the reduction, right? So how much was the monthly payment on that? Total uh, and i $804. And 62 cents. So 804.62 times 120 months. Yep. Is 96,554 is what we took in cash, right? And now the bank's going to call us. I mean, excuse me, the title company is going to call us the bank. Who's the bank? We're the bank, right? And ask us for the payoff. And Ron, you're going to say, hey, I'm the bank. Your payoff is how much? $89,429. $89,000. So we lent $100,000. And 10 years from now, how much do they still owe? I'll say it one more time because I, I don't believe 80, what you're telling 89, me. Just call it 89.5. So you're telling me that we got all of our initial investment back, right? We got $96,554, pretty close to 100%. And we're going to get another big fat check for, say it one more time. I just, I just don't believe what you're saying. 89,500. <laughs> That's a lot. That's the beauty of amortization. That's why I like being in the bank personally, because it doesn't matter. Here's the other advantage. Well, it depends on where you are in your investment, uh, in your investment strategy and how you diversify your portfolio. Personally, I like dealing with known quantities if I can, right? And what I mean by that is I'm going to get that monthly payment every single month, as long as it performs of $1,000, right? So I don't really care if the property value goes up or goes down. It doesn't benefit me financially at all. The benefit I get is that if the property value is going up, right? 
and my cost basis is dropping because I'm mitigating my risk because I'm getting paid down on what I lent. Now I'm creating a, a pretty nice buffer, right? Property yep. now is not worth $130,000. You owe me $80,000 in the event of a default. I got a pretty darn good chance I'm protecting. I'm going to get all my money back, even if I had to wait a little bit of time to get it. So I'm really protecting my capital stack in a note investment, which is good, especially if it's going into an IRA because you don't need the money today. You can afford to wait, but it's just a good part of any portfolio. I'm not saying you shouldn't invest in other vehicle, you know, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, vehicles. some of this stuff is very similar to owning real estate Yeah, because when you own real estate, if you've bought it right, you have the exact same thing that you just said, right? In, in this scenario with the rental property, you have somebody paying down. They're paying all of this crazy money that you just talked about. You're not, right? It's less painful. People don't experience that amortization schedule as much because they're not the ones paying that, right? But That's correct. And when you're the bank, so if you have a diversified portfolio where you have some notes, which I do, and you have a lot of real estate, which I do, you have, you have the best of both worlds. You have somebody paying yeah. down this debt over here that is creating that same thing you were talking about, which is an equity spread. And you have the exact same thing happening on the note side. It's just happening in a different way. The amortization schedule is creating not necessarily an equity spread, but it's mitigating your risk because of the way that the amortization schedule is loaded. And if the property value goes up, there's more equity being created, which is the buffer you were talking about. It's very, very similar. There's some differences, like you were saying before. Don't have to worry about property management. That's really not. It's just a preference, really. Look, Ron, if I'm 25, 30 years old, I may have a different opinion and perspective on this, right? But I'm not. And so for me, this is where I, I want, I like to set things and forget them. I don't want to have to manage something. I like to touch things one time and, and get paid in perpetuity foregoing some depreciation. I get that. But at the end of the day, look, depreciation doesn't last forever. You still got to recapture it at some point in time, unless you can still, I mean, there's ways that you can sort of, I guess, avoid that, but you know, by keep reinvesting and there's still risk in doing that as well. But that's not really what the point of the conversation is. We're not trying to say you should be a lean Lord, hundred percent of time and a landlord, no time, none exactly. of the percent of it. It's just understanding that there's more than one yeah. way to invest and really got to figure out. I love, here's where I love notes. I love notes in retirement accounts because you have time on your side and that money, like going back to numbers, the amount of money in retirement accounts is about $35 trillion. Now, depending on what your store says, maybe a little more, a little less, 35 trillion. You thought I didn't know what a, what billion was? Number of zeros, I really don't know what trillion is. I don't even know how many zeros that is, but my calculator doesn't go that big. But my point is, of that 35 trillion, about 10 trillion, trillion with the T, is in what we call self-directed or self-managed mm-hmm. or Roth IRAs, which you have control over. All my money that I have in retirement accounts are all in self-directed Roths or you know something that I can control. A lot of people don't even know they can use those accounts to invest in mortgage notes, number one. Our, our number people two. do because they're smart. Well, that's good. <laughs> I'm glad, but you know, you got to get this message out to the masses though, Ron. That's you right. Shout out to everybody out this. there who's been listening. You guys are all and smart. just hold all this to yourself and to a few select group of people. It's not fair. <laughs> but my point is of that $10 trillion, about $2 trillion of it, it's sitting idle in these, in these retirement accounts, making nothing, literally mm. making nothing. It's a cash account, $2 trillion. Yeah. Oh my God, are you kidding me? 
Just think if you could yeah, take that. That absolutely boggles my mind. It boggles, I, I don't get it either, but it's there. And that's the point. That's why I like talking on this kind of stuff, because maybe it'll trigger somebody to say, oh, you know what? I got $100,000 in a retirement company. Maybe I should go buy a, a mortgage note that's securitized and collateralized by a property and figure out what that looks like. Because administrators can't really do that for you, right? You got to have somebody like Ron or or somebody else, or it doesn't have to be me or Ron or anybody. It can be, there's plenty of places out there that have notes for sale and they can, Mm -hmm. they will teach you how to invest in them and how to protect what you're buying. Just like if you're going to buy a buy and hold property. Man, we're going to have to do a follow-up on this because I have so many questions, but well, one thing I like about this is that you're finding a way to help people who want to own a home and are at this point unable to, right? So you have someone living in the home who's very interested in taking good care of it. And they're very interested in making their payments, maybe even in a little bit more than a tenant would, right? Because they're, they have ownership. It's exciting, right? So that's something that I see as a difference. And I agree with Ron. I think it's a great way to mix up a portfolio that's backed by a hard asset, you know, some strict interest coming in, but it also gives, I mean, it's one rate of return, but it's a great way to diversify a portfolio and help someone on the back end as well, which I'm passionate about. As you I'm know, sure. you get that cash flow back, right? So you're getting it back and you can always reinvest the capital that you get back. Yeah. Maybe you can't move, do much with $10,000. Maybe you can on the first year's interest, but what's stopping you from going and doing something else with then reinvesting it and making yeah. additional compounding that return on top of it. But, you know, it's interesting. You talk about, you know, providing home ownership to hardworking people, but there's another side of that equation. And the side of it is how we acquire, right? It's one thing to go out and buy a house and fix a house. But a lot of times the way that we acquire is we work with sellers that are in a distressed situation. And we're seeing it right now as people are coming out of the pandemic and the forbearance is going to go away. Eviction moratoriums are going to be lifted. We got a lot of tired landlords that are providers of this information of the property as well. But just in the last two days, I just got off a call before I got on with you. And that's why I was a couple minutes late. Got a call. Lady's got a house in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. Mm -hmm. She is in forbearance right now. She can't afford the payment any longer and she's looking for help. Mm -hmm. And so what we're going to do is we'll probably come in and buy that property from her. And we'll figure out how to take that down. We'll probably leave the forbearance in place for a short period of time. We have time on our side. She does not, right? She does not have the luxury of time and patient capital that allows us to do what we're going to do. So we'll go find a buyer and then we'll go put that in place and then we'll create the note. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. So we're going to create the note with the help Mm -hmm. of the seller. We'll pay her for that help. And then we don't have to go run out and go necessarily go out and get a, a bunch of money from a bunch of different lenders and go through that whole process that would take us weeks, maybe a month or two, when I can do it literally in a matter of yeah. a few days. Just did one another one in San Antonio, sell a different story. She inherited like, I don't know, eight or 10 properties from her father when he passed away. And she's not a landlord. She doesn't know anything mm-hmm. about that. She just wants to cash out of the situation. So we're going to work a deal and we'll get owner financing on some of that. And she'll give us a preferred rate in term for what we need. We'll give her her price and we'll take that. And we'll then guess what we're going to do. We're going to go find a family and we'll put a family in there and we'll underwrite them and qualify them, write the loan for them and create the note and the mortgage, just like a bank would. And that's, we do this every day, all day. I love that. This is really cool. Uh, So Nick, I think we'll, let's do if you're okay with it. 
is absolutely let's do like a series and we'll do another episode where we'll kind of pick up where we left off because I have a ton of more questions. I know Heather has a lot more questions <laughs> as do all of our listeners. I'm sure they have tons of questions as well. Let's cover a little bit more because we can go a little bit more in depth into collateral how to structure these loans. We can talk about firsts and seconds, which I think people need to understand difference between those and why and all that good stuff. And then I think we should probably talk about the risks associated with this. Like what, what happens Absolutely. when people don't pay, right? Absolutely. Um, so everybody stay tuned. Next week we'll have Nick back and we will do series two, part two, where we'll get into the, all of that other stuff. Because this was, Nick, thank you yeah. so much for coming. This was awesome. Good. I'm glad um, I can tons help. Tons of information. And I think when we pair both of them together, I think people are really going to get a good feel for what notes are. It's a really deep yeah. concept to understand entirely, but I think it'll get a really good Yeah. You know, it, it the last thing I'll say about that is that people just don't know. There's nothing on HDTV or flip and flop that or this or whatever else. <laughs> There's nothing out yeah. there, right? There's no show that shows you go, Hey, I'm going to make this cool note and I'm going to show you, I'm going to get paid on it. I'm going to rehab a note. Yeah, that wouldn't be yeah. a sexy of a show, Nick. Yeah, it right. Really it would not be a lot of episodes, and I don't even know what the hell it would look like. But it's not what the masses see, and that, so if they don't see it, they don't know what to do with it. And it doesn't mean they don't want to do something with it. And that's what we have to do. We got to use these other platforms to sort of educate and let somebody make an informed decision on if it's the right thing they want for themselves, whether it's a note or a physical property, the cash flow. And I'm okay. going to launch a page on our website for people with additional information like we did when we talked about whole life insurance, these deep concepts yeah, yeah. that our clients, I know we're going to want more information on. We're going to do rpcinvest.com forward slash notes, plural. So that way we can upload some additional content and information for people listening on the podcast. So that way they can gather some more details. Let us answer some questions there as well. So, and then awesome. if you guys are interested in actually acquiring notes, then you can go to that site and there'll be a place there where you can enter your information and somebody will contact you about yeah. it. So Nick, appreciate it. All Until right. next time, everybody get out there and make something happen. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.